0: Hi, everyone. Just a reminder that this show is not legal advice, trading advice, financial advice, or personal advice. Enjoy the show and thank you very much. This show is sponsored by Liquid.com, be the change, and by Robinhood. Investing now for the rest of us. Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron. And ever since Mr. Wong Chun, founder of Elastos, was on Crypto 101, and he said that people need to do Computer 101, not Blockchain 101, the most requested show we've had was Computer 101. So we invited back Mr. Rong Chun to give us just that, Computer 101. Now, this show was edited by Randy, and Randy had a good idea. He made this show into many different parts. One, a 26-minute episode of very concise, very dense information of Computer 101. And then, out of the two-hour conversation I had with Mr. Wong Randy edited and made concise little snippets about different Computer 101 topics. And those answers and those topics and those questions didn't really follow a linear thought. We were going to put those at the end in separate little bites. So please listen to the whole conversation. Listen to the whole podcast so you can get every little snippet all the way to the end. But before we go into that conversation and before we get into those snippets, please go to Crypto101Podcast.com, join our Facebook page, join our Twitter, stay up to date on Crypto 101 things, and stay into the conversation of 101 in education. Also, go to iTunes, subscribe, rate us, and leave us a comment. It helps us. Thank you very much. Also, if you're a patron, please go to your Patreon page because we also have more snippets and clips posted there and you can send us an email hit the contact us button on the website crypto101podcast.com and say what's up i reply to all of my emails even though it might take a couple of days and now without further ado let's get into computer 101 have a notepad ready because this conversation flies we'll see you after the show mr rong chun founder of elastos Welcome back to Crypto 101, sir. Hello. Sir, if you remember, last time you were on the show, you said something that really hit with a lot of listeners. And I got a lot of email and mail about this. You said... And that's why people have to use common sense. Have to go back to Computer
1: 101 instead of Blockchain 101. That's what they need.
0: So after you said that, a lot of people said we do need... Computer 101 and sir, I want to invite you back on to give us that computer 101. What do you think, sir?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think uh, It's a topic a long time due (laughs) We should talk about it
0: Excellent before we get into computer 101, please briefly introduce yourself.
1: Uh, My name is Ron Chen I started to learn computer science in 1978 and I came to the United States in 1984 I learned uh, like touring, programming in Turing machines. I learned to uh, be a computer architect. But then after I learned, I went to University of Illinois, joined uh, the supercomputer lab. And later on, I uh, switched to doing operating systems. I've been doing operating systems for 32 years now.
0: And we're going to get into a little bit more about operating systems and why you switch from supercomputers in a little bit, because that's an interesting story, and it goes exactly with what we're going to talk about computer 101 today. Sir, let's jump right into it. Can you tell us and this is a weird question, a lot of people are going to hear this question and go, that's stupid, but what is a computer? We can't get more 101 than that.
1: <sighs> yeah, well, there are two ways to describe uh, what is a computer. Well, the easy way actually, a computer is a uh, hard drive and a CPU. That's uh, what computer is. And uh, according to Alan Turing, it's even simpler. A computer is a tape, paper tape, infinitely long on each side. And also, there's a so called uh, finite automata, which is the programming execution, pretty much.
0: And Alan Turing is the same guy that pioneered the Turing test. He was the guy that was the breaker of Enigma in World War II. And he was a computer science mathematician and logician. Is this correct?
1: Well, in artificial intelligence, There's a popular term called a Turing test. I'm not sure whether Alan Turing himself invented because uh, Turing unfortunately died in the 50s, right? And artificial intelligence was 1960 in Dartmouth College. The timing is a little off, so I'm not sure.
0: So you said a computer is a CPU and a hard drive. There's CPUs in many different aspects of your computer, right? I think we mentioned the other day, there are CPUs in your keyboard, in your sound card. Can you go into a little bit about the construction of a computer?
1: To construct a computer, you need a permanent storage which stores 0 and ones, right? We call them files. And the files could be a data file, could be program files. There are only two kinds of files on your hard drive, right? And then there's a CPU which executes the programs, right? Because basically it loads the program into the memory and executes them. But then the memory is something you could option it out because supposedly if the hard drive is fast enough, the CPU could directly read and write of the hard drive and execute the programs out of a hard drive. So then the simplest model actually does not consist of memory. It's just a storage and execution unit. That's what the computer is. GPU, on the other hand, is a hardware acceleration of a CPU. For example, when we talk about a CPU, we're usually talk about 32-bit and uh, 64-bit machines. Basically, a word is a unit consists of 32 bits, which is uh, 4 bytes. A byte is 8 bits, and uh, 4 bytes of is 32 bits. And, of course, 64 bits is uh, 8 bytes. And usually, the computers we run into, they are of... 32 bits or 64 bits. But then for a GPU, very often they're 128 bits or more because the GPU, they're doing very specific problems like doing array manipulations because on the screen we have them met pixels and they ship pixels, right? Or they try to do pixel transformations. So those are very specific tasks. We could use more computer bits to do them in parallel. So then they can achieve much faster performance. Literally, the GPU could be simulated by CPU, but just much slower. So GPU is not an essential part of a computer, which will just make the user experience much better. Okay. Same with the memory. Memory is not necessary on a computer. But uh, of course, with memory, we get much better performance for a computer.
0: So this is why we can have cloud storage and cloud memory, like the Google... I think it's called the playbook. They came out with very little memory. The memory storage was on the cloud. That's how that's able to operate. You don't really need the memory. Is that, that's what you're saying. Uh, cloud is a different thing. When we talk about uh, computers, usually we'll talk about
1: hardware computers. Cloud computer, uh, basically, in principle, is the same as the hardware computer. But on the other hand, the reason why it's more efficient, it's not because the computer is different. It's actually because something called a virtual computer right now because the CPU is so fast, we can launch virtual computers on demand. Every virtual computer actually is a l- little bit of slower than a physical computer. Of course there are different grades of computers. there are right. slower slower ones, there are faster ones, right? But when you launch a virtual computer and, uh, on a computer, actually it's slower than the hosting physical computer.
0: Oh, of course, because you have the latency be- between the network. Yeah, and the... because
1: you have to do the virtualization, you have to do several layers of right. abstractions. But on the other hand, the reason why we're moving more towards cloud computing or we're moving towards uh, virtual computing is, first of all, the computers are fast enough. If you take Amazon Cloud, for example, right, they are hosting... Uh, millions of virtual machines. Say if you pay as cheap as $5 a month, you can rent a virtual computer from Amazon. Instead of buying a physical computer box in your home, you could rent a computer, right? You can run a virtual computer in Amazon Cloud, $5 a month. And uh, if you buy a physical machine for home, usually the lifespan is about five years. You can throw it out because it's so slow. And uh, you, if you amortize, you spend uh, $1,000 on that computer and uh, divide by that many months, definitely uh, $5 a month is uh, more efficient, <laughs> cost effective <Right. laughs> to run Amazon. And also for Amazon, not only they run that virtual machine to you, because if you're, uh, you live in America, right? You, you, your daytime is actually, uh, uh, let's say China is about uh, 10 hours of, uh, uh, delay or ahead of us. And uh, Europe is another eight hours uh, before or after us, right? So then basically you divide the world into three eight-hour segments. Mm-hmm. And one segment, folks, are, they're going to sleep and different segments of the world. They're waking up. So for Amazon, right, they literally they could run that virtual computer three times. <laughs> Cause, because people, they're sleeping, they're not going to use their computer. They run it.
0: Right, right, right. Exactly.
1: So then it's more efficient than if you purchase a physical computer uh, in your home when you're asleep. You're, basically, it's idling, right? It's uh, wasting power there or just sitting there. Right. And of course, uh, using cloud is a more efficient way to run uh, computers. That's why we see uh, cloud computing is getting more popular.
0: What does this mean for, say, the blockchain?
1: Well, blockchain actually is the other way around. Let's say a lot of people wish the blockchain computer, the world computers, so to speak, could be as fast as the uh, the supercomputers of uh, today. Right? That's just wishful thinking. You wish the blockchain could be uh, as fast as, let's say, Cray computer or uh, uh, the Galaxy computer built in China. In computer science, distributed computing meaning people collaborate, divide and conquer. They share workloads. That's called a distributed computing. And uh, the blockchain actually is not using distributed computing. It's mm-hmm. using duplicated computing, mm-hmm. which is two different things, right? Duplicated computing meaning one computer does something like a ledger and the other computer does not trust it, mm-hmm. right? It has to validate the result. That's called a consensus. Mm-hmm. Because if you have a blockchain of 10,000 nodes, and each of them will run this program and verifies the result and make sure a minority of the nodes won't manipulate the result of the whole blockchain. That's, uh, of course, to achieve this consensus. Mm. It's very similar to, um, you know, when we go to grade school, right? And the teacher asks us, to uh, what is a one plus one? A pupil says, okay, one plus one is two. How about, uh, you know, 30 kids in the class, they're all doing exactly the same math problem, one, one plus one. And uh, collectively, they come up with answer and tell the teacher, right? right. Say uh, a boy makes a mistake, one plus one equals three. <laughs> but then, right. you know, then, the then the teacher saying, asks, hey. the other
0: one says, hey, yes, it's right. one plus one equals yeah, three. No, it's it two. majority of
1: them saying, yeah, no, 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 one plus one is two, right? Right. If it's taking the majority wins, right, and we have a better chance to get the correct result. And uh, of course, in a way, we're wasting uh, everybody's time. In a sense,
0: right? <laughs> but then, yeah, right.
1: parallel computing is, uh, has been around for um, many, many years. Especially after the 1960s, you know, when this uh, supercomputers was invented in the late uh, 60s, and they start to research on multiple CPUs like IBM 360, right? That's where Amdahl's law come from because Amdahl was the chief architect of IBM 360 okay. in the 60s. Okay. It was that long ago, around uh, 50 years ago, right? Uh, we had uh, parallel computing already. Parallel computing meaning you have more than one CPU. They try to collectively gain better performance. They're sharing workloads. They need to do a different task. Say uh, the teacher gave the grade school, you know, 30 questions, one plus one, two plus two, you know, three plus four, right? You have Thirty questions in total, and how about we have the thirty kids to each one of them solving a problem? So collectively they can hand in their homework faster because mm-hmm. each student so will do uh, one question. Collectively they're doing thirty of them, right? And then they hand in a teacher a sheet saying, "Okay, here's the answers to thirty problems." So of course parallel meaning they uh, divide the workload and uh, achieving better performance.
0: So what is Amdahl's law?
1: Amdahl's um, law basically saying, you know, of course, uh, I was giving an example. The teacher uh, gave 30 questions to 30 kids, and uh, the questions have nothing to do with each other. One plus one and two plus two. There are two independent questions and having two kids solving the two math questions separately, right? Mm. Of course, that way we gain about 30 times the the speed. But then that's a irrelevant uh, question when we do computer science research, because uh, in the world, there are millions or billions of computers. If they do different problems, then it doesn't really uh, require any research. When we do parallel computing research, usually people say you have 30 nodes. Collectively, they are solving one problem. Mm-hmm. forecasting or sparse matrix solutions. So they basically, they divide like according to columns or according to rows and having each CPU to solve every column. But then after everyone solved the, the columns, then they have to combine and mix do the rows Together, right? So that means the thirty uh, CPUs they have to synchronize once in a while. So then, collectively, they're solving problems instead of solving thirty problems. They can still gain some speed by collaborations. But then, the Amdahl's law is saying that to uh, most of the uh, scientific computing problems, the answer is very, very pessimistic. For consumer-grade applications, for example, the ones we use on iPhones, right? Because like one person uses the iPhone, and the iPhone has quad core or six cores, and some phones have octa cores, have eight CPUs. The reason why most of phones have four CPU, six CPU, and eight CPUs is because. If you put more CPUs, it's not going to help a one single consumer to speed up their applications. On the other hand, actually, we can pretty much get a, a U-curve. After eight CPUs or so, the performance will degradate greatly. Uh, then the more CPUs you put in, actually, the slower you get. I, I, it's I... not going to gain you any speed.
0: Right. I was actually thinking of an analogy for this. And tell me if I'm right. Kind of like a 101 analogy. Let's say we're at a barbecue. We're cooking burgers. And you have nobody cooking burgers on the grill. So there's, it's very inefficient to have no chefs or no cooks cooking a burger. But then you add one chef. Let's say you call that chef. Maybe he is the CPU. And you have one chef cooking a burger on the grill. That is way more efficient than zero chefs. Now you add another chef. You add two chefs. And That's even going to be more efficient than one chef because one chef could be cooking the burger, the meat on the grill. The other chef could be over grabbing the bun, the lettuce, the tomato, the mayonnaise, the cheese, and building that out. So now you have them both coming together to make the burger. But then you add three chefs, and that one chef is just now standing in the way. Two chefs are very efficient, and the third chef is just kind of in the way, getting in the way. That They're crossing each other. They're bumping into each other. The other chef is like telling everybody, like, hey, maybe you should do it this way or that way. And now we have the efficiency going down. Is that kind of like what Amdahl's law is?
1: That's a very interesting analogy. Actually, in a way, you're right. It's very precise because to one consumer, right? If you have that many chefs or you have that many CPUs collectively trying to help one consumer to achieve this better performance for one application, that's exactly what happens. The more CPUs you put in, doesn't necessarily mean you are getting faster or any better results. But uh, yeah, Amdahl's law pretty much says for those applications, when you do simulations, usually uh, the peak is around uh, 8 to 10, or around 8, I would say. I wouldn't even say 10. It's less than 10, actually, when I did my uh, experiments.
0: And now a word from our sponsor, liquid.com. Liquid.com is a cryptocurrency trading platform with dozens of listed cryptos in multiple fiat pairs such as Japanese yen, US dollars, Australian dollars, Singapore dollars, euros, Hong Kong dollars, and more. On the surface, Liquid is a regulation-friendly exchange with a serious focus on security, liquidity, and user experience. However, under the hood you'll find the proprietary World Bank technology, which seamlessly matches orders between trading pairs and significantly increases liquidity. No longer is trading confined to a single trading pair. Liquid provides exclusive access to hand-picked ICOs. All ICOs go through a rigorous due diligence process conducted by experts ensuring only the best quality products make it through. Complete KYC once on Liquid, and then enjoy investing in ICOs with a few simple clicks on a secure platform safe from malicious activity. And soon, you can invest in ICOs directly with fiat. Liquid was built by Coin with an aim to bridge the gap between traditional finance and token economies. The Coin team consists of banking and finance veterans from top tier investment banks, such as SoftBank, Goldman Sachs, and Merrill Lynch. Liquid is a complete cryptocurrency ecosystem built to service both individual and institutional investors at the highest level. To sign up for a Liquid account, go to the show notes, click my referral link and get $10 added to your account after you trade hundred bucks. And before you sign up, please do your own research and make sure that your country is one of the countries that liquid services now back to the show so what does this have to do with the blockchain like we said it's about computational service it so it's about computational service and the blockchain is decentralized the ledger is decentralized over many places many different nodes for trust does it matter (laughs) to be faster? Is blockchain going to follow Moore's law? Does Amdahl's law come into play here where the more it just becomes less efficient? And does speed really make a difference?
1: Well, yeah, let's talk about blockchain, right? Blockchain, collectively, all the nodes on the blockchain, they are doing one single task, which is to make sure they produce a ledger, which is a trustworthy ledger. So then comparing to one person doing the ledger and 10,000 nodes doing exactly the same ledger, the difference between the two is that one ledger, we could trust the result more than the other. So uh, I don't want to use decentralized ledger. The trustworthy ledger was implemented in a decentralized way. Mm -hmm. That's more accurate description of blockchain because the concept is so misleading that one ledger, as I mentioned, uh, according to uh, this uh, computation service, right? Like a keyboard or fingerprint reader, that ledgering is collectively constructed by 10,000 nodes, but all together, they provide a single service. Mm -hmm. So then when the 10,000 nodes want to collectively achieving one task, obviously Amdahl's law applies instead of Moore's law. Because Moore's law is about a single CPU. Mm-hmm. It's not about multiple CPUs. When we talk about multiple CPUs, we apply Amdala's law. Mm-hmm. So that's why we, we see the number of transactions in the tens, uh, hundreds, or thousands in computation power of today, right? Mm-hmm. A hundred, a thousand, ten thousand is nothing comparing to billions or trillions you know, teraflops, uh, petaflops of uh, computation powers. Right. right? What is a uh, ten thousand? What is a uh, one thousand transactions? It's almost nothing.
0: You you mentioned the supercomputer in China that handles the eleven eleven uh, every year, the Taobao yeah. Black, say, a Chinese Black Friday, and it's doing. Uh-huh. It, it, you said it's called Galaxy.
1: Uh, no, that was uh, Alibaba's computer. Oh, okay. uh, the Galaxy was benchmarked uh, the fastest computer on Earth. I think this year someone in the U.S. overtake that <laughs> benchmark, but I forgot which computer <laughs> was that.
0: So the, the Alibaba computer can handle traffic of Billions of purchases and transactions within an hour of 11:11 11, 11, Black Friday opening.
1: 11:11. 11, 11, uh, the reason why I mentioned that is because 11:11 11, 11 peaked at about 300,000 transactions per second. That's the largest on earth for business sales. And also, there's another one. The train ticket selling are also uh, hosted by Alibaba Computer because. Uh-huh. Uh, that also proves no one but Alibaba right now could handle that workload.
0: I bring up 300,000 transactions per second because of the blockchain. The blockchain will never be able to do that. Is that correct? There's no way. There's, There's no, no way. way. So you can't have trust in speed. So, what is blockchain good for? It's good enough for trust. Is that what you're saying? It's fast enough for trust, kind of like our CPU and our keyboard. that's able to log 80 characters a second, like you're gonna be typing, the fastest you'll ever type. Blockchain does not need to handle 300,000 transactions per second.
1: Correct, So that's at least what I believe.
0: So what what would blockchain be good for?
1: Actually, we're trying to build a trust without a centralized intermediary. That's very, very important. A great invention by Satoshi Nakamoto. But on the other hand, does blockchain provides computation services to the consumers, which I dare to say,
0: no. That, that's a really interesting point. When we were speaking the other day, you compared blockchain to more like the fingerprint reader on your iPhone than a computer. It is not a computer. It's more like a validator of information. Correct.
1: Correct. Because we are just talking about the keyboard, right? The fingerprint reader is yet another specialized devices on a computer or on a phone, mm-hmm. which internally has a CPU, has memory. It has even its own operating system. The fingerprint reader, like on Android phone, runs an operating system called the uh, little kernel. Mm-hmm. And not too many people know about it. Because the reason why I'm mentioning this is a lot of people in the blockchain world bragged about they invented the operating system for the blockchain. So then we can compare, there's a little kernel running in the fingerprint reader. Could we use the little kernel compared to the operating system running on the blockchain <laughs> computer, right? The fingerprint reader internally, the mechanism actually is a computer and running some specialized programs. Even it's a multi-processing computer, it's very like a general purpose computing, but it's a specialized. But then still to consumers, that fingerprint reader does not provide the computation service, however, It provides the trust service to the smartphones, right? We log in to our iPhone using the fingerprint reader. Mm -hmm. So the fingerprint reader let us log in to the computer. Mm -hmm. Very similar to the blockchain that Elastos used the blockchain to uh, authenticate users who logs into the Elastos smart web.
0: Mm -hmm. I remember you saying, and one thing you're very avid about is that TPS doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because blockchain does not provide computational power. Therefore, as we just said, the definition of a computer, a computer is a hard drive and a CPU. Blockchain doesn't have neither of those.
1: The problem the blockchain could help to solve is that we have to find a place where there are more than one parties. They don't have a trust in each other. For example, the internet. On the internet, the internet itself When it's invented, it's decentralized. No one has a say who could or could not get on the internet, Mm -hmm. which is a good thing at the very beginning because that made the internet prosper because everyone get on and talk to each other. But then we see the trend also peaked. People now going back to Google, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft for services Mm -hmm. because on the internet, anyone can get on the internet so then the sharks the thieves the robbers <laughs> you know the fake identity everything mm-hmm. goes on the fake news the fake websites you know then who is to blame when the consumer run into a fake website and being cheated upon right they have no one to cry to because it's decentralized so they have to go back to the big brothers then that said Can we use the blockchain to issue IDs instead of Facebook give us ID? That's a very interesting uh, topic or thesis we should uh, research about.
0: Mm -hmm. Mr. Chun, would you mind if we go into some general questions? Sure. Who do you respect in the space? If you were going to read somebody who maybe posted a blog or was on the news, who would that person be that you would stop and make sure that you read their opinions of what's going on with blockchain?
1: In blockchain, actually, uh, I think Satoshi Nakamoto and uh, I really like uh, the invention of uh, blockchain, which is really uh, uh, fascinating. And not until recently, like uh, uh, Tim Berners-Lee, uh, he's working on Solid, like Solid Pod and Solid IDs. And if you see, uh, Microsoft is also doing DIDs. The then you see, actually, the trend is changing and is moving towards similar directions of Elastos. And there's a project called Plaid On from China. There's a Orbit in the United States and Blockstack. Actually, I kind of like those projects where they are moving.
0: Who would you follow or who are you following for the gossip in the space? This space is all a, has a lot of FUD and FOMO and, and people and entertainers and personalities talking about all things crypto all the time. Do you follow right. any of them? No,
1: I don't. I ignore all of it because I think most of them just fat. That's all there is to
0: <laughs> it. <laughs> Mr. Chun, do you listen to music? Hardly. Hardly. I'm surprised because I, I I see your profile picture. You're a, an avid runner.
1: Uh, what I mean, I'm not really, but uh, just my age, I'm more of a health conscious now because I've been doing entrepreneur, doing the uh, startups, right? So I. I try to keep up a healthy lifestyle now.
0: <laughs> if somebody was going to listen to something, if it was news, if it was a book, or if it was music, what would Mr. Chun tell them to listen to?
1: Well, I, I basically, I listen to the news uh, okay. when I run.
0: Right on, right on.
1: Yeah, yeah. I listen to NPR podcast. hmm and 60 minutes sometimes and um yeah and what else uh, yeah i do uh, listen to crypto 101
0: occasionally oh thank you i appreciate that yeah appreciate because that.
1: especially after your interview i was just like okay
0: let's I'll check learn a little check bit. them out a little bit all right yeah <laughs> thank you thank you crypto 101 is positioned to be a 101 place that's why you've been on the show already twice now thank you very much for your time if this was the first podcast somebody this is not a very beginner 101 podcast even though we're going to call this one computer 101 it's still i would say probably 301 or 401 what would you want the new person getting into the space to know about crypto about blockchain about computers in general
1: blockchain actually is a unit which produces trust
0: don't go anywhere that was just the end of our conversation now stick around for more computer 101 topic snippets And now, a word from our sponsor, Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and crypto, all commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. Robinhood sent me a link and told me to sign up to try it, and I was impressed by no commission fees. Other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, but Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees, trade, stock, and crypto, and keep all of your profits The design is clean, easy to understand, charts and market data. You can place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. I'm the kind of guy that learns by doing. Custom notifications allows you to monitor the market so you never miss a price movement so you can continue to learn on your own. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio just by signing up at crypto101.robinhood.com. That's crypto101, C-R-Y-P-T-O-101.robinhood.com. Now, back to the show. That, you can say, goes into the Turing test. And you said, imagine two dark rooms. One is a computer, one is a blockchain. Can you explain what you were saying before?
1: Yeah, Turing test was invented, as I mentioned Turing test may not be invented by Alan Turing, but Turing test was the key fundamental uh, concept for evaluating computer artificial intelligence. The Turing test actually is that there are two uh, uh, dark rooms. One, there's a computer in it, one, there's a human in it. Of course, the two dark rooms are having the door shut, and then there are two small windows. A judge could uh, hand in two pieces of paper writing exactly the same thing one paper handed into the computer the other paper handed into uh, the dark room with a human and then of course both of them return the uh, written results back and then the judge make a decision seeing which answers uh, his question correctly and to evaluate whether the computer's intelligence is on par to that uh, human being for example if you ask, what is one plus one? And the computer tells you two, and the human tells you two. Pretty much, you can maybe you can tell uh, for that question that computer has a intelligence of maybe two years old. So that's what Turing test is about. That uh, principle is very very important because in several ways, one is that whatever in the dark room, the dark room provides a service. Mm-hmm. You don't confuse what's inside the dark room with what's outside the dark room. There's always a boundary between the computer and the human, Mm -hmm. right? Someone provides a service, someone receives the service. Mm -hmm. One is inside the wall and one is outside the wall, Mm -hmm. which is very, very important principle because you don't want to mix the two. Today, in the blockchain world, people constantly mix what blockchain can do, or what services blockchain can provide? There are two different things. What's a blockchain? That meaning what's inside that dark room? How going to build the blockchain, mm-hmm. right? What blockchain, what services can blockchain provide? That's what we're saying. That's to the outside the room. How should we perceive a blockchain? Mm-hmm. How do we understand what blockchain? Whatever regardless of the mechanism, right? The one room could be a human doing the ledger. Right. One room could be a blockchain doing the ledger. Or I borrow the experiment saying that one room has a single computer instead of human. The other room has a uh, blockchain. So one dark room has a blockchain, one dark room has a single computer, right? Then we hand in them questions and expecting them to give us answers. Say we ask them. Could you give us a set of IDs that we can trust? Because right. we don't trust Facebook IDs, or some people trust Facebook IDs, but some people don't.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because the internet's for everyone on Earth to share. So we talk to uh, each other. Let's say from China, I talk to someone in the U.S. From U.S. and talk to someone in Europe. And then who's to say who is which government give us IDs? Right, And no authority is trusted by everyone. Then in that case, can we trust the blockchain to give us IDs, for example? And then, just, I, then I would just ask the two rooms, right? And ask one room, give us IDs. But basically both rooms give me IDs back. Right. If the one computer give me IDs, then I want to find out the mechanisms and say, okay, that one computer is in the US or that one computer is in China or the mm-hmm. one computer is in Europe then you have issues. It makes the judge uncomfortable. Right. And uh, if that blockchain is consists of 10,000 nodes spreading across the world, right? They check and balance each other. The, the results are validated by every nodes. Then the human judge feel more comfortable, right? With that, ID is issued. So then, two dark rooms providing services, the judge prefer the ones from the blockchain. Mm-hmm. correct? And. Correct? Uh, any user on the internet could be the judge. And then when we do things on the internet, usually we do something called a cache, which is a computer jargon. Cache meaning that you take the ID and you store it on your computer. You don't go to the dark room, ask the ID every time. Because after all, being a user on the internet, I trust my computer. Mm -hmm. I don't trust your computer. I don't trust anyone else's computers, but I trust my computer, right? Uh, Let's say if Google trusts Google's computer and Alibaba trusts uh, Alibaba (laughs) computer, right? Right. And in their computers, they have their own database. They have their own uh, way of uh, storing things. So they don't trust each other. They can get the IDs from the blockchain, but then... They cached or they temporarily stored the IDs in their database. So every time they fetch the IDs, they fetch from their local database, they trust. So then the ID generation is not a speed issue. How how fast could the blockchain generate IDs to keep up, right? Mm-hmm. And there are about 70 billion people on Earth. Then everyone lives 100 years. And if... <laughs> The earth has equilibrium and the 70 billion population does not grow, let's say, and everyone lives a hundred years. Then we divide 70 billion by hundred years, by, you know, 365 days, by 24 hours, by how many minutes, by how many seconds, right? Mm -hmm. Then you basically get every second, uh, there are about 1,000 to 1,500 baby born and 1,000 to 1,500 people die.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's the population growth, actually is only in the uh, thousands, right? And then definitely we feel the blockchain is fast enough to uh, keep up generating IDs and not to say that the ID could be generated by city, by townships, right? Let's say today, how many babies born in Seattle? And then we put them in, in the Census Bureau's record and generate the blockchain IDs.
0: Can you sum up that advice in one sentence? Basically,
1: I think the blockchain has invented enough. It's time to wait it to mature. I see. And then the money to be made is the new internet. It's not the blockchain anymore.
0: Got it. You mentioned something in our call the other day, something can be fast or infinitely fast. And can you explain what infinitely fast means in the computer space?
1: Well, first of all, let's go back to a a Turing machine.
0: Alan Mm -hmm. Turing,
1: when he was alive, Actually, at that time, there was something we call them computers, but they are hardly computers, right? Because during World War II, there was no general purpose computers. Of course, uh, if people watch the movie Imitation Games, they, uh, they'll learn all about the history of Alan Turing. When Alan Turing made this computer model in his mind, The computer has infinite storage. Basically, the paper tape consists of zero and ones, right? Mm. Uh, So uh, a paper tape that consists of a lot of squares, infinitely uh, on each side. So you put a lot of zero and ones on the paper tapes. That's equivalent to infinite storage. Mm. And also the execution units he described was infinitely fast Meaning as time goes by, right, the computer is getting faster and faster. And so when we do simulations in science labs, we just imagine, you know, given enough years passing by, then the computers could be infinitely fast. So we're building computer models based on infinite storage and infinite fast computation
0: speed. You also said that there's, in engineering, infinitely fast means something different. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that, uh, the definition of infinity it goes back to math 101, right? Okay. Math 101. <laughs> well, no, we need another episode the, now. <laughs> <laughs> when you do calculus, actually, a uh, w- very fundamental concept is called infinity, right? Uh, what's infinite? Actually, as engineering students, when we define what is infinite, it's not like a movie, uh, toy story, <laughs> Info, you know, and beyond. The mm-hmm. uh, engineering students saying infinity is a big M. The big M could be a just a number. The number is large enough to, let's say, if I count one, two, three, four, three by lifetime of mine, right? How many digits could I count?
0: Mm-hmm. Let's say
1: if I count uh, one hour, I count it to 10,000. Then I count how many uh, in my lifetime, so that there are that many hours total, right? And then... I couldn't count more than a big M, like that number times an hour, I can count to 10,000, 24 hours a day, uh, 365 days a year, and then I live 100 years long, right? Right. And then I could never count beyond that big M. You can figure that out. Then if I'm counting for that instance, for that homework, I could not reach that big M. Mm -hmm. Then that big M for the counting homework, that's infinite to me for that case
0: you gave an example when we were on the phone the other day and i thought that was an amazing example it was the keyboard cpu
1: if the keyboard in a computer actually has a cpu basically it can do something on its own as if it's a little smart built-in right and that's why we call smart terminals smart devices anything we call smart has a cpu in it If that CPU can keep up our speed, human speed, then we think that CPU is infinitely fast. For example, how many characters can I type per second? Let's say 80 characters per second. Then if the CPU could be do more than 80 characters per second, then it's infinitely fast to most people.
0: That's interesting because you wouldn't want to put a CPU that can do more than, say, 100 characters per second because nobody would need it. It's overkill. It's overengineering. Correct. So infinitely fast basically means what project you want to handle and what engineering you need to do to handle said project. Anything above that is wasted.
1: Correct. That's the principle followed everywhere. Smart contract actually is a specialized program which is very validated or duplicated uh, on each of the nodes of the uh, world computer. So let's say there are 10,000 nodes on a blockchain, all of them, right, repeatedly executes
0: the same program
1: over and over.
0: So is blockchain a world computer?
1: Uh, Well, according to the world computer, it's just a name. It doesn't Mm. really matter. The founder of uh, Ethereum, uh, the world computer, the term, I don't, I uh, <laughs> I reserve some opinion on the term uh, world computer for two reasons. One is the world computer giving you a sense of there's only one, because there's only one world that we live in. In fact, Ethereum software could be installed on different blockchains. Say, if you have a blockchain of 10,000 nodes, given that if I take exactly the same source code and put in to another 100 nodes of the computer forming another blockchain, right? So literally, I could form hundreds of blockchain computers, blockchain ledgers. One in particular is called uh, Ethereum, but then there are also Ethereum clones. So if you name the Ethereum computer the world computer, then what are the clones? Mm -hmm. Uh, Definitely, I don't want to mislead people saying there's only one Ethereum computer in the world. So there are definitely more than one world computer In the world so which is kind of uh, you know confusing saying there are 100 world computers in the world right that's one thing i don't like the term uh the other problem that i have with the term world computer is that uh, after all i don't believe the world computer is a computer Hmm. because of the blockchain like a keyboard actually is a specialized computer basically it's a Turing equivalent But then it has very, very limited computation power. It has very, very limited storage. So to consumers, keyboard does not function as a computer, even though internally the mechanism of the keyboard actually is built as if it's a computer running one specific program. So if you say keyboard is a computer that runs one program, which is a true statement. But on the other hand, the consumers, right, don't perceive the keyboard as a computer in a way that the keyboard does not provide the computation services to the consumers. So that's the fundamental difference.
0: Uh, Mr. Chen, thank you for your time and thank you for coming on Crypto 101 and we will talk definitely in the future. Yeah, thank you, it's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. Mr. Chun, if you're listening, thank you for coming on the show. And to the listeners, if you're curious about Computer 101, check out our Patreon page where I put more snippets from Mr. Chun. Don't forget to check out our YouTube channel. You can listen to our episodes on YouTube. Also, you can hear our roundups. And the roundups basically goes over what I've learned from these episodes and my critiques about the content. And in our next episode of Crypto 101, I sit down with the congressman of Taiwan, Jason Hsu, aka the crypto congressman. And he's telling how Taiwan is legislating and building the infrastructure to make Taiwan the hub of blockchain Asia. Don't miss this show. And like always, ApogeeCrypto.com, A-P-O-G-E-E Crypto.com, the best place for your real-time prices. CryptoNews.com for your news. And this is Matthew Aaron, and we will see you in future episodes of Crypto 101.
2: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable.